Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, prose is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 20, The First Task. Harry got up on Sunday morning and dressed so inattentively that it was a while before he realized he was trying to pull his hat onto his foot instead of his sock. When he finally got all his clothes on the right parts of his body, he hurried off to find Hermione, locating her at the Gryffindor table in the Great Hall, where she was eating breakfast with Ginny. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Terkyle. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Vanessa, it's our hundredth episode. Did you bake me my cake yet? I thought about it. It actually, at 10 p.m. yesterday is when I was like, you know what I should do? I should get Vanessa that cake I promised in series one. But I failed. We'll have to just keep going until we hit 200 and come to the end of the season. (laughs) Okay. I would also like to say, in the last two years that we've been working on this together, you haven't gotten me the cake, but you have done lovely things for me. I'm not a monster. You're not a monster. So thank you, everyone. If you've listened from the beginning, whether that was, you know, way back in 2016 or if you've listened through all the episodes now, it means so much to us to have you with us on this journey through the book. So thank you for listening. And I want to just take a moment to tell you a little bit about the crowdfunder that we're doing, because, you know, when we started this project, it was really something fun for us both to do on the side. You know, Ariana was in school. Vanessa and I had just recently graduated, and we never thought that this could be part of our livelihoods. And then in 
in season two, we joined Panoply and the podcast kept growing and we were featured on the homepage of iTunes. And now Vanessa is leading a really exciting new step for the podcast, which is to create a feminist production company that puts together not only Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, but another podcast called Hot and Bothered, which is all about writing as a spiritual practice through the art of romance novels. And it is such a pleasure for me to see Vanessa step into her incredible leadership, not only as my co-host, but really now as the executive director of the new organization that she's building with a lot of people around her to support her. But really, it's Vanessa's vision. And I just want to share that with you as the listeners to understand that what she's doing is incredible and that your support of this project enables her to really live out this vision and build content that is spiritually deep and accessible and generous to the world in a time when we really need that. So if this podcast has been a support for you, especially over this last year, which has been tough for so many of us, please dig deep and contribute to uh, enabling that vision as it moves forward. Okay, you don't have to bake me the cake. (laughs) That was really nice. So Casper, do you have a story for me other than one that makes me blush of happiness and humility? (laughs) Well, The theme for this week's episode is opportunity, and it really made me think back to my high school time. You know, through most of my schooling as a middle school and then a high school student, I was in schools that were academically very strong. I was extremely lucky. And so I was kind of surrounded by very smart and hardworking kids. And so I didn't really stand out in anything. You know, I was okay at English. I enjoyed history. I was okay at languages. I was not okay at most like sports and I got involved in some like music things, but I didn't really ever find where I shone, you know, that feeling. I really wanted to, (laughs) I wanted to be really good at drama, but like that didn't work out either. But the moment when I realized that this was a place where I could offer something was when I joined the Model United Nations group. So I was 17, and this was kind of like a debating society, but you got given a country to represent. So for example, I might be given the country Kenya, and I had to argue why cultural goods that had been stolen during the colonial period should be returned to Kenya. And it was sort of a practice debate. And every year, the kind of the top students from all these different schools would come together in The Hague in the Netherlands and debate in an actual United Nations building. And it was very exciting. And it was the first moment when I was on the stage there kind of arguing about cultural restoration of goods that belong to Kenya that I thought, oh, this is what I'm good at. And it wasn't so much being on the stage. It was really about building alliances with other nations and teaming up with India to take on Australia, you know, that kind of strategy stuff. And it made me realize like, oh, there's something that I can do in this world where I really have something to offer. And I was so lucky at that age to have an opportunity to discover that. Years later, when I was reading Maladoma Patrice Somay's writing, a West African kind of wisdom teacher, and he says that the responsibility of the community is to help individuals identify their gifts and then to receive them, which I think is so beautiful. And that's what happened for me is that there was a teacher who ran this Model United Nations Club who helped me identify what I was good at and then gave me a place which could receive those gifts. And it was so affirming. And I just think how many people who are lucky get to have that experience, but also so many people don't get to have that experience, certainly not at that age. And so this this theme of opportunity is so much about 
when do you get opportunities? What type of opportunities do you get? And then also, what do you do with them when they do come? So I'm excited to explore that in this chapter with you. It also is just making me think about how opportunity is in the eye of the beholder, right? The way I think about it is like sometimes I'll get an opportunity and I'm like, yeah, but that's like a great deal on a Porsche. Like I still can't afford it. It doesn't help me in any meaningful way. And I feel like that's sort of Harry's experience of Mm. being in the Triwizard Tournament, right? Like it's a great deal on a Porsche and he has nowhere to park it and doesn't even have his license. So an opportunity for you came at the right time and in the right way and how auspicious everything has to be in order for an opportunity Mm. to be that sort of true opportunity. Yeah, that's so true. So Casper, on this, our 100th episode, you have the opportunity to go first. Before we start, do we know who's winning the count? I feel like we've stopped checking at some point. Yeah, 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 but we have it. Hold on, I'll let you know. Okay. On this 100th episode, let it be known that the winner of the 30-second recap so far is... Me. No! <laughs> I have 55.5% of the votes. Well, it's it's close. Is it? Because you have 445 <laughs> I feel like... If we're being generous. Yeah. Here's the thing. People don't feel the need to vote as aggressively because they know that you're never going to give me my cake. Yeah, they're like, no cake, no votes. (laughs) It's the cake for votes scandal. (laughs) Cake gate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Vanessa, I'm ready. Okay. On your mark. Get set. Recap. Okay, so this is the chapter where Harry does the first task, and he has to get that golden egg from underneath the Hungarian horntail dragon. But first we see Fleur, and she gets, like, flames, and then... Oh, no, Cedric is first. No, whatever. And then um, Crumb, and it's like, ooh, but there's scores. And then and Harry has learned to do Accio, or Axio, never quite sure. Um, and the broom comes, and Hermione has taught him, and it's great, and they go for long walks around the park, no, around the lake, and that's how they learn. No, that's when they talk about it. And then at the end, Ron and Harry reunite, and there's not a dry tea here in the house. I mean, dry eye. Wow, that was a mess. <laughs> that, for our 100th episode, was like the most Casper recap. It was like if you were mocking what a Casper recap sounds like, the only thing that was missing was an accent. And Percy Weasley. Percy's head boy. And uh, Percy's uh, head, Percy boy. head boy. And then we did. We did it all. Oh, my God. Okay, so quite a lot to fill in there, Vanessa. <laughs> all right, here we go. Three, two, one. Go. So Harry is really magnanimous and he tells Cedric because he figures that all of the other champions already know. And he and Sirius was like about to tell Harry how to do this with a very simple spell, but he doesn't know what. So Moody pulls him in and like gives Harry all these hints. And then Hermione helps him practice. I think it's Accio, actually. Um, and when they go down and McGonagall, everybody is giving Harry advice and they're sort of giving him different advice. And he's like pacing in the tent waiting for his turn. And then it's finally his turn. And he uses the firebolt and Ron comes in and Harry. Harry's like, I guess it's okay. I forgive you. (laughs) Strong. I feel like everyone knows what's happened. Yes. Right? So here's the thing. When we originally conceived of the 30-second recap, we wanted it to be this, like, low barrier to entry of, like, even if you haven't read the books, don't worry, you can still engage in sacred work with us. Right. We'll tell you everything you need to know. It was like this serious thing, like, you know, an opening of the door into the text. Right. And now we've realized that we're so bad at it, but I don't think that makes it less valuable. I think that it's a gesture toward that. That we are all amateurs in this text of life. (laughs) 
The other thing that I do think that the 30-second recap is actually done is because it's so silly is it's given us permission to go deeper on other things because we know there will be a moment of joy. That's right. So, Vanessa, let's start in the chapter. You actually mentioned this in your 30-second recap, that Harry seeks out, you know, he thinks that Cedric is the only one who doesn't know what the challenge is, that dragons are the first test. And so he's walking along the corridor on his way to Herbology and then suddenly sees Cedric. And he kind of hangs around and says, Hermione, you go on ahead, waits for Cedric to be a little bit more on his own and does a spell which breaks Cedric's new bag and ink falls everywhere. And he walks over to Cedric and he says, Cedric, the first challenge is dragons. And Cedric at first is a little skeptical, like, why are you telling me this? What's going on? And Harry says, well, it's only fair because everyone knows. I want us all to be on the same footing, which I think is lovely. But what really struck me is that Harry has had this thought, but he has only acted on it once he saw Cedric, once he had the opportunity to do so. How do we create the opportunity for ourselves to do the right thing? I mean, it's the same with, are you going to fill your house with lots of like chips and sugary sweets and all these things, which we know in the long term are not good for us. And it's so much harder to resist temptation if you're surrounded by it. So it just made me start thinking like, wow, what would it look like to design my life for serendipity or opportunity to be the kind of person I want to be? And something that you just made me think of is I wonder if the Hogwarts champion was a Slytherin or a Ravenclaw, if he would have done this, because Harry uses the word fair. He says it wouldn't have been fair. And fairness is one of the attributes of a Hufflepuff. Who Cedric is gives Harry the opportunity to be this bigger person. And so I wonder if just Cedric carrying that idea of fairness and loyalty, it brings that out in Harry as well. I love that. Yeah, and even the history they've had through the Quidditch matches, like there's something that bonds them. They've already had the spirit of fairness between them, right? Harry has watched Cedric correct Amos and be like, I didn't really beat Harry. That's so important. Right, like there is some relationship building that has already happened here. Let's say the other champion had been, you know, George Weasley. Harry would have told George within an instant, right? There's enough of relational bond. They're both within Gryffindor. I know about dragons. You're going to know straight away. I'm going to make an effort to tell you. If the other champion had been a sixth year Slytherin, I'm pretty sure Harry would have kept that to himself. But because Cedric falls in that in-between space, it's only when he has an opportunity that he tells that information. You know, that instinct is there, and I think that instinct is in all of us. We have an instinct that we want fairness, that we want good things for everyone, ultimately. But he's in this kind of second layer of relationship, right? Not the first intimate layer, not in the outer layer of, like, I don't like you, but in that middle place where it's like, oh, I wish you well, but, like, I'm not going to go out of my way to do good to you. Yeah. And I really like your question of like, how do we create more opportunities for ourselves? I think that that in part is why I believe in art so much, right? Mm -hmm. Like I walk out of a movie that's like about mother-daughter relationships and I call my mom, right? Mm -hmm. Like I ride those emotional moments. And I'm wondering if there's a way that we can structure like putting these opportunities for goodness into our lives more. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think we were talking about this a little bit last week. And again, in that book on tyranny, it talks about practicing eye contact. And that is something that is within all of our ability. And to be more thoughtful about that and engaging with strangers, I think, does create more opportunities to be a good person. So I I do think that there are small practices that we can do. You know, something 
And for my own life, Ariana and I made a commitment to journal a sentence a day in 2018. And I've been playing with different ways to set myself up for success on it. And the way that I have found is best is the first thing that I do when I get out of bed in the morning is I put the journal on my pillow. And so that night, before I put my head on the pillow, I write a sentence about my day. I love that. We call them life hacks now, but I think that that demeans what they are. They are intentional practices. So that act means that the first thing I do in the morning is make a promise to myself Mm. that I'm going to reflect tonight. You know what? This is making me think that the moment that brings Ron and Harry together hasn't just happened. I feel like certainly Hermione has wished it to happen. She's been trying to speak to one and then speak to the other to influence them, to to rebuild this bridge between them. And someone recently said this to me, that when when you're building a bridge across difference, you don't start with the middle stone. You have to start with yourself. You have to examine your own biases, your own thought patterns, and you build from your side out, reaching towards the other. And then when you've both done that work, that's when the stone lands. Because we've had a few near misses, right? Ron came down the steps when Harry was speaking with Sirius. Harry has looked longingly across the classroom. when And the... even made Ron laugh. Exactly. Yeah. So there's, be, there's been that bridge building. And so I feel like both Ron and Harry, although they're maybe too young to express it, outwardly have been slowly practicing getting ready for a moment so that when a traumatic, intense moment arrived, like him nearly being eaten and burnt by a dragon, the friendship can be rekindled. The other place where I see Harry really making a choice when he's faced with an opportunity that could shape him is when Ludo Bagman wants to help him. You know, he's saying like, yeah, you're the youngest. You're really the underdog here. Let let me help you. Let me tell you what's going to come. Let me tell you how to win this challenge. And Harry refuses his help. That may be a strategic choice because he's like, this dude is not a trustworthy advisor. Fair point, Harry. But secondly, there's also something about his integrity of, of this fairness. And I think We haven't really talked enough about fairness for Harry throughout these books because it's so fundamental to who he is and how he understands the world. It's what fuels his fight for justice, but it it shows up in everyday small situations, his his love for the underdog, his support for someone like Luna, because I feel like he knows that when things are fair, maybe people who are marginalized have the opportunity to give their gifts and and the world is richer for it. I mean, he has... 10 years of grown distaste for preferential treatment. Dudley always got the first helping of everything, and Harry only gets less than afterthoughts. And you know what really strikes me there? He has seen that it doesn't even serve Dudley in the end. right? And this is something so important that I learned only a few years ago, that trying to overcome racism is not just about like giving people of color the same opportunities as white people, but it's releasing us all from this bondage of a stratified society on race, where all of us are kept in boxes and kept out of relationship because of this weird horrific structure that's been in place for centuries. Absolutely. And you see that across all oppressions, right? You know, one of the things that is so upsetting about all these revelations around women who have been harassed in the workplace is I'm just thinking of all the incredible creativity and contributions to society that were missed out on because those women were taken out of positions of power or weren't allowed to thrive in their careers. I'm like, what great ideas. Like, We will never know what missed opportunities there are because of a lack of fairness. And I think Harry, he doesn't want to be continuing that cycle of oppression in any ways. 
I think it gets back to he's practiced in that. And so when Ludo Bagman offers him something that could potentially save his life, right, he's like, nope. I have practiced for this moment, and my answer is no. And you know what Harry does for, like, a half of this chapter is practice the summoning charm. Yes. Oh, my God. Like, he's literally practicing over and over again. Ugh. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Another question came up for me in this chapter around opportunity and the unexpected gifts it can give us. There's this amazing moment where Harry is reflecting on the challenge that's coming up, this big test. He knows he's going to get a dragon. It's terrifying to him. And at this point, he still doesn't know how he's going to solve it. It's before he's thought about the broom. And he does a thought experiment and he's like, oh, what if, you know, I run away? What if I leave Hogwarts? Like, where would I go? And he thinks about the Dursleys. And there's this amazing moment where he realizes he'd rather stay at Hogwarts and face this challenge than go back to Privet Drive and live with the Dursleys. So he he's actually calmer. That's what the text tells us. He feels more calm. And it made me reflect that when we feel like we have agency or we have a choice, even if we choose danger, it feels less frightening. Like it's a way of making us less anxious, less afraid. And so, you know, if you're forced into something, you feel helpless. You feel like you have no control. And the fact that he chooses this dragon makes the fear more right-sized. Does that make sense to you? Completely. 
If I'm reading a book on my own and really loving it, and somebody says to me, oh, I'll read it too, and then we can talk about it, I suddenly don't want to read the book, <laughs> right? It, like, starts to feel like an assignment. Yes. And I'm like, they're going to judge me for how long I'm taking to read it or how quickly I read it. It becomes this assignment, and it becomes something I do not want to do. For some reason, that's not true with Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. I was going to say, what's different for us? Because we have the assignment every week. I think it's because it's so doable. It's one chapter. Yeah. It's so doable. It's right-sized. Yes. Which I actually think is really important. Like, we were talking earlier about if you're given a Porsche and you can't drive and you have nowhere to park it, right? It's a wrong-sized opportunity. And there's something about having an opportunity that's right-sized that means you can act on it. And there's ways to grow the sizedness of the opportunity, right? If someone says, oh, let's read this together, suddenly it becomes like this bigger thing. And you're like, oh, I didn't have emotional space for that big thing. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's like, I love talking about books with people. I don't know if you know that about me. So it's a lovely gesture. And I don't think I ever realized that I was like, oh, I didn't have the emotional space for this to be a social thing and for there to be like a due date or a timeline associated with it. One of the best illustrations of this to me is in the book Fifty Shades of Grey. Stay with me. So what I think is so appealing about that book is the way that Christian, the guy in the books, gives gifts. So what he does is he gives these really lavish gifts, like he gives her laptops. And I feel like often when people get that, I think that that is what's so sexy about him is that he gives her a car and he prepays her insurance. And it is set up on a trust. She will never have to pay insurance on this car. Do you know what it is? With every opportunity, there's loss. Mm. And so if somebody gives you an opportunity but also anticipates the loss associated with the opportunity, it feels like a complete gift. Oh, I love that. Like giving someone an opportunity is a complicated thing. Yeah, because it forces a choice. Which means sacrifice. If you have to choose between two things, it means that you are giving something up. I mean, and we see that, right, like with the opportunity to host the Triwizard Tournament, we had to get rid of Quidditch, right? Like there's just I, – I think it's important to honor the loss. Yeah. Casper, is there anywhere else that you saw this theme of opportunity in the text? I do think it's worth reflecting on how Harry manages to get to the golden egg. You know, he's managed to get his broomstick, he's flying around, and he's realizing that he needs to get the dragon off the eggs in order to be able to get – to the egg. So what he does is he kind of tempts the dragon. He's always just out of reach and he tempts her to fly into the air, which gives him the opportunity to go down and grab the egg. And so he's kind of made his own opportunity. And I wanted to reflect on that because on the one hand, it really is true, right? Like, you know, you've prepared well for the interview, so you give yourself the opportunity to to do well. But it's easy to fall into this narrative of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, which literally is physically impossible. Like that metaphor is so apt because it is undoable. But there's something about making your own opportunity, which is both true and deceptive. And I want to think that through with you. Well, I think we see that again with Cedric. Yes, it helps that Harry gives him this information about the dragon. But if Cedric hadn't done all of this effort of like being a great Quidditch player, of being a great athlete, of putting his name in the goblet, it takes both. It takes luck and hard work. And I think looking at one without the other, luck without hard work doesn't pay off either, right? Because I think when great luck happens and there isn't any meaning behind it, it can just be so much change so quickly that we don't understand what has happened to us. Yeah, you can go to a million parties and be as 
open as you want to be and not find the love of your life, right? You have to show up and you have to be lucky. I think it's just always important to talk about both of those things whenever we talk about opportunity. And like who gets to go to the party in the first place, right? Right. Like the privilege inherent exactly. with the invitation. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot easier to be lucky if you're privileged. Well, that was really my experience of thinking about my, my secondary school is like, I got to go to Russia for five days when I was 16. Like, I was given all of these privileges and all these opportunities. And sure, you want to make the most of them, but that should be something that's available to everyone. But I even just think, like, I'm someone with a tremendous amount of privilege and opportunity. And sometimes because of depression, I, like, can't take advantage of an opportunity. Right. And so that's just, like, an unlucky thing about my life that when I'm in it, it feels like it's just a cycle. Mm. Because you're like, well, now I'm not going to this thing. I feel guilty about not attending. And you can just spiral. So it's like a little bit of lack of luck can feel just like endless. And so it's also about trying to interrupt those cycles when you can of like, okay, this unlucky thing happened to me. But like, I think it's important to forgive ourselves for letting certain opportunities go by mm -hmm. for saying this was a Porsche when I didn't have a driver's license. As somebody with depression, there are times that I have to let opportunities go by. And rather than spiral into being like, oh, not only am I a depressive, but I'm somebody who gives up these amazing opportunities. It's like, no, that was not an authentic opportunity to who I am. And it is important to let those go by because then they're not opportunities. They're liabilities. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great point. I mean, this whole goblet of fire situation, sure, it ends up being an opportunity, but let's wait until the end of the book and think about how that really turns out. Casper, this is the last week for a little while that we are going to do the Jewish spiritual practice of pardes, and we are going to pick a sentence at random and then go through our four-step reading process. The sentence that I picked is, Cedric's bag split. Oh. Step one of pardes' shot, where we ask ourselves, what is the intended meaning of the text? So at this point, Harry knows about the dragons. You know, he's been walking around with Hermione to try and figure out what to do. They're on their way to Herbology, and he sees Cedric in the corridor, and he casts a spell, and the ink goes everywhere. And, you know, he's creating an opportunity to have a conversation. Yes. Job well done. Ding! Casper for president. Okay, so step two of Pardes is remes, where we're going to imbue one word from the sentence with meaning from other places in the text. So Cedric's bag split. Which word would you like to go with? I, I, it has to be Cedric. I mean, this whole book is in some ways Cedric's story. You know, we meet him, we learn more about his family context, about his father, about the way in which he's pressured to be in a certain way in the way in which he refuses that pressure and maintains his integrity. This whole book, the, the kind of build up to his moment of glory. And in that very last moment when he and Harry take the cup together and the transportation to this hellish vision where he's killed. And I'm thinking of this image of the bag splitting. I'm thinking of his body splitting as he's, you know, broken by this killing curse there's something pure about him. Like the bag is new. Cedric is, an, is a new character in our lives, but his values seem untarnished by the nastiness of what Harry's already had to experience. Oh, yeah. And I love, I feel like this is a short enough sentence that I'm going to just sort of give us permission to do the whole sentence. Yes. In this way. Because I think Cedric, 
his bag is split even though it's new and it's split just by proximity to Harry. Like he gets instrumentalized mm. and his things get instrumentalized in these like really unfortunate ways. I also thought about the word split because it feels Harry's forehead scar is sort of like splitting him in half, right? It's like a crack. And he's sort of split between like being a little bit of Voldemort in that he's a horcrux. And Voldemort splits himself in order to make a horcrux. Right. Right? You're splintering your soul. So I do think that there is this image in this sentence of the purity of Cedric being is, broken. Yeah, like he is unsplit. There is something whole about Cedric. It reminds me of original sin, mm. right? That there is this original sin of Voldemort. There's this original hate. And as long as it's out there, even in these micro ways, these like micro violences are going to have to happen. A bag is going to have to get ripped because Barty Crouch Jr. is manipulating Harry by putting his name in the Goblet of Fire. So Harry has to get Cedric's attention in order to do this thing, right? It's like the way that evil penetrates on the most micro of levels and at the same time that there's this original blessing. And by original blessing, I mean, you know, not only Lily's love and protection of Harry, but also Harry seeking out to share an opportunity so that there's equality among competitors, that there is a desire for goodness. It's the endless duality within ourselves, within the world that is revealed in these books time and time again. Harry helping Cedric in this moment, in fact, enables Cedric to be joint winner, which means he gets transported to meet Voldemort and, and faces his death. The third step of Pardes is Drosh, where we ask ourselves what lesson we draw from the sentence. What lesson would you like to share from the sentence? Would you read it one more time? Of course. Cedric's bag split. Well, I feel like this is a total message about consumerism and badly produced products. I get so frustrated when you buy something that's new and then within two or three times of use, like, it's breaking. Or the fact that my phone, after only having it for a year and a half, is designed to start being faulty. How have we allowed ourselves to be in an economic system where this is the norm, where we just expect things that should be able to work for decades? If you have a dishwasher that was built in 1943, it still works today, right? That's the kind of quality that we used to build. And now we're in this weird designed obsolescence economy where because there's this need for buying more things from a corporate standpoint, we consumers are helpless in the face of it. So like here's a bag that with one little charm splits. Magical goods should be more protected than this. Rant over. How about you, Vanessa? Do you find a, a drush in this line? Cedric's bag split. Yeah, I'm thinking about what it is we carry in our bags. I saw a photo exhibit once that a guy would just go up to people on the street and sort of ask them to empty their bag and take a picture of everything in their bag. And Us Weekly or one of those magazines has a fake commodified version of this where they ask stars what's in their bag. And it's always like whatever product they're sponsoring. We would have Blue Apron in our bag <laughs> all the time. New coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but... I'm just thinking about, I I guess I sort of think belongings matter. The things that Cedric has in his bag, he might have written Cho's name on his notebook or, right, like these, mm. you know, his allergy medicine. I don't know, these things that make up a person. 
I hold on to funny things from my grandparents. I have my grandma's old change purse. It has a huge hole in it. So it literally doesn't hold change anymore. But I I guess, you know, when we see that in religion too, relics and artifacts. And I'm just thinking that if this bag was new, like I know when I get a new notebook or a new coat, it's like a new beginning, right? Like, oh, I get to embody this this person that I want to be. And maybe that Cedric was like, oh, well, I'm a Hogwarts champion. Like I am yeah. going to be someone who, who wins at life and stands up in the world. And, you know, here it is being ripped to shreds. Wow, that ended really sadly. Can you take us to the sode? Yes. So, as everybody knows, the sode is where we sit with the sentence for a second and see if a secret emerges to us. So I will read it one last time. Cedric's bag split. Harry didn't need to do this. He could have just shouted, Hey, Cedric, can I have a moment alone with you, please? And maybe Cedric was like, well, I'm late for class. Like, can we meet at lunch? Fine. I feel like Harry is resorting to to breaking something because he's too afraid to visibly, publicly want to talk to Cedric. This sentence, which has Cedric's name in it, is actually about Harry. How about you? Do you have a sode? Cedric's bag split. I was just talking about how wonderful certain belongings can be. But also, I was just thinking that maybe the reason that Cedric is like, I don't need your help, guys, go ahead, is that it's very revealing, right? It's suddenly all of his stuff is just out and he might have things to hide. Not necessarily bad things, but maybe he has been writing Joe's name on his notebook, right? And so this could have been a very embarrassing moment for Cedric. Which makes me think really differently about the newspaper coverage. Seeing the intimacy with which Rita Skeeter is writing about Harry's life, maybe Cedric is like, oh, I'm good. Thank goodness. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail comes from Hannah Burgess. Hi, Casper and Vanessa. My name is Hannah, and I'm a Slytherin from Australia. I love the Harry Potter books, and there is something I've always wondered. Harry Potter went to a muggle primary school. 
as he was living with muggles. Which made me think, do wizarded families go to muggle primary schools? Where do you think the Weasleys went to primary school? As the knowledge of the muggle world we find out is quite small, like the fact they couldn't use a mobile phone, and later he didn't know any muggle fairy tales. I think if wizarding children were sent to muggle primary schools, there'd be a stronger connection and knowledge of muggles that would be important for the wizarding world. At Hogwarts, there is no mention of maths or English classes, so I just wanted to know your views on where do wizarding children go to primary school. I would love to hear from you. Bye! Hannah, I think that that's such a good question. And my answer would be that I think it is like as diverse as the Hogwarts students are. We know where one Hogwarts student goes to primary school. We know about Harry and that he goes to his local school. And I would imagine that it depends, right? Hermione probably went to her local school. Some kids are probably homeschooled. I would think that it was very diverse. But the other thing that I want to pull out is that I do think it is disturbing that there isn't any conversation about maths or English in the Hogwarts universe. Who's teaching them Jane Eyre? And like, do they know who Shakespeare is? These are real questions I have. Yeah. I'm guessing looking at Ron, probably not. (laughs) Vanessa, it's time for our blessings. And who are you offering your blessing to this week? My blessing this week is going to Mama Hungarian Horntail. I just think that this task is exploiting a mother's love for a child Mm. and torturing her for the protective instinct. And it is that same protective instinct that saved Harry's life that he is now exploiting in this way. And I know it's not Harry's fault, but it just this is everything terrible about the patriarchy to me in one thing. And it's animal abuse and it's for the sake of sport. And I hate it so much. And it was hard to read. I hate it. So a blessing for that horntail who's in the middle of being tortured in plain sight of hundreds of people who are cheering while it's happening. Great. Happy 100th episode. Casper, who would you like to bless? There's a funny moment in this chapter where the fake Moody is in his office and Harry notices all the that Harry realizes what happens. I just want to offer a blessing to anyone who is doing the best they can, even if it isn't working out. Keep going. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Our hundredth episode. Woo-hoo! Thanks for sticking with us, guys. You can contribute to our crowdfunder where we're on our way to both our goals of reaching 2,000 donors and $75,000 at harrypottersacredtext.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and leave us a review on iTunes or send us a voicemail to harrypottersacredtext at gmail.com. Next week, we'll read Chapter 21, House Elf Liberation Front, through the theme of faith. This episode was produced by Ariana Nettleman, Vanessa Zoltan, and me, Casper Terkyle. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and we are part of the Panoply Network, where you can find ours and other great shows on panoply.fm. This week's voicemail is thanks to Hannah Burgess. We would like to thank, as always, Rebecca and Charlie Ludley, Julia Argy, and Stephanie Paulsell. We'll see you all next week, everyone. Bye. It's a gesture toward the low barrier to entry. It's like, look. It's like, look at our standards. You're going to be just fine. I meant, look, we want you to to just come. The doors are open. Because people are leaving because it's so bad. 
<laughs> I hope you brought food. Uh. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, actually, can you call and order a pizza? Because <laughs> everything is burnt. <laughs>